Hey, uh, I'm Reese. If uh, we haven't met, I extend Abby's welcome. Uh, thrilled that you're here. Hey, the last couple of weeks, uh, Danielle Strickland uh, brought a great message, and then last week, Mike Kelsey, uh, phenomenal message, and Mike stayed over on Sunday night and uh, came in Monday morning and gave a leadership talk to the staff, and it was just so life-giving. Uh, it was great to have him with us. As we journey through uh, the book of Psalms in this series that we've called The Search for Purpose, and Psalms is uh, essentially 150 poems that make up the book, and David wrote 73 of them, almost half of the 150, and then Another six authors are responsible for 28 more. And then 49 of the poems, the authorship is unknown. And in week one, we looked how uh, Psalms, 150 poems, are broken up into five parts. Maybe in your Bible, it has the title book, like book one, book two, book three, four, the five parts. And these five parts reflect uh, the first five books of the Bible authored by Moses called the Torah. And Torah simply means teach. And so the Psalms comes onto the scene as a new Torah for God's people to learn the lifelong practice of prayer. So these 150 poems uh, break into two predominant prayer themes. The first is lament. And lament prayers are those where you bring your frustration and your confusion, your anger, your pain, and you call God to pay closer attention to the things that are broken in this world and to do something about it. These lament prayers uh, predominantly come over the first three parts of the movement through Psalms, and then the second is praise prayers. And praise prayers are all about celebrating who God is, his faithfulness, the victory and joy that we have in him, and that God is good, and the evidence of that is all around, all throughout his creation. And these praise themes occupy the last two movements of Psalms. And they culminate in the last five poems, 146 to 150, to be uh, the praise poems, and they start and end with the same Hebrew word, the word hallelujah. And in your Bible, you'll see that simply translated as praise the Lord. So the last five movements, starting and finishing, and then the very last word of the 150 poems is the Hebrew word hallelujah. Speaking of hallelujah, did you guys see my man Kedron leading out in that song in there, right? <laughs> I don't know where, where the man is, but uh, we did a rooted course together a couple of years ago, so I get to say he's my man. I was over there going, yes, come on. You bring it, you bring it. It was awesome. So here we are in week four of uh, this series, and so I'm gonna be in part four, uh, starting at uh, Psalm 90, but I'm gonna be in Psalm 92 today is where we're gonna park. Now, 2013 uh, was the first time I traveled to the Dominican Republic for a missions trip. And shortly into being in the Dominican, uh, the pastor that was traveling down the road through the interpreter, he said, we have to give Reese a ripe mango 
because it's mango season in the Dominican, and we were, we were driving down this beat-up road with potholes, and we came up to this uh, abandoned gas station with a massive overgrown mango tree. And the pastor jumped out, he climbed up this tree, and then came back with these beautifully ripe, fresh mangoes. And then they brought them over to me, and then they, they kind of like taught me how to eat a mango, which was kind of weird, but they're like, you know, knees apart, bend at the hips. This is a full face kind of event that you're gonna endure right now. And so I got this mango, and I bit into it, and immediately the juices exploded and cascaded down my chin. It certainly was a full face mango situation going on. And there was this moment where I was like, overcome, this is the nicest mango I have ever tasted. Full of juice, freshly plucked from the tree, the ripest, freshest in mango season in the Dominican. It's interesting that the Bible often uses fruit as an analogy for our lives. And it invites us to consider what it is to have good fruit and also to bear bad fruit. If you have to leave early, you just heard the point of my message today, okay? <laughs> We're gonna talk about fruit and the power of bearing good fruit. If you're able to, would you please stand to your feet for the reading of God's word today? I said I'm gonna be in Psalm 92, but I'm gonna begin with a quick parallel in Psalm 1 and then I'll take us over to Psalm 92. Reading the word of the Lord in Psalm 1, it reads, Oh, the joys of those who do not follow the advice of the wicked, or stand around with sinners, or join in with mockers, but they delight in the law of the Lord, meditating on it day and night. They are like trees planted along the riverbank, bearing fruit each season. Their lives never, never wither and they prosper in all they do. Now over to Psalm 92, verse 12. But the godly will flourish like palm trees and grow strong like the cedars of Lebanon. For they are transplanted to the Lord's own house. They flourish in the courts of our God. Even in old age, they will still produce fruit. They will remain vital and green. They will declare, the Lord is just, he is my rock, there is no evil in him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. In the original Hebrew, uh, the word purpose is the word reah. And reah means to aim at a target. And as we go through the book of Psalms, looking at our, you know, searching for purpose, today in Psalm 92, what we find is our target is that we would bear fruit. Understanding as we search the scriptures what it is to find purpose within them and to mine it out into our lives. Last week, Mike Kelsey had us parked in Psalm 73, and if you remember, he walked us through the frustration that we feel at times when we experience the wicked prospering. And the psalmist asks in verse 11, does God realize what is going on? Well, then in this Psalm 92 today, it has a similar head nod 
to the truth that for the wicked, this world is the best they will ever know and ever experience. But for the righteous, their best is yet to be fully experienced. So this rich imagery is reintroduced of the wicked being that of grass and the righteous of a palm and cedar tree. Verse seven says the wicked are like the grass that grow up today, flourish for a short while, but are gone tomorrow. The prosperity of the wicked is short-lived. Grass is easily grown. In fact, it often grows in places we don't want it to. Impossible places like cracks in concrete and up through our paved driveways. Grass is a menace often. Often it's a menace because of its ability to reproduce more grass. Many gardeners work hard to keep grass in control and in and out of flower beds and in the grass area. By the way, have you ever noticed how immaculate our church grounds are? We have, <laughs> we have grass where there's supposed to be grass and we have uh, garden beds where there's supposed to be garden beds and it's all because of a godly groundsman by the name of Mario Alvarado. And there is Mario. He's in here somewhere. Give me a wave, Mario, where are you? There he is. Mario. <laughs> if you ever have a chance to thank Mario, as I often do, and he always says the same thing, it's not for you, Reese. It's for my heavenly father. And he is an example of a godly servant, and I bless you this morning, brother. Thanks for all you do to keep grass where it's supposed to be <laughs> and out of where it's not meant to be. So grass makes more grass, and in the same way, the psalmist tells us that fools find it easy to convince other people to be fools. But this kind of fruit is not worth much. It does not produce anything that has any lasting value. But contrastly in verse 12, but the godly will flourish like palm trees and grow strong like the cedars of Lebanon. Understand the connection in the Old Testament of this comparison that the righteous are like trees. Trees are a significant imagery in the Old Testament. The palm tree grows in well-watered oasis and thus is a symbol of life and fertility. Palm trees are known for their long life. To flourish like a palm tree means to stand tall and live long. Then the psalmist says the cedar trees of Lebanon were known for their size, their strength, their endurance, their large and stately tree. These cedars grew to 100 feet, 120 feet high and 30 feet in circumference. And thus, they were solid and strong and immovable. The psalmist saw believers as upright, strong, and unmoved by the winds of our circumstances. Those who place their identity firmly in God can have their strength and endurance in their personhood of Christ. As Chicago pastor Charlie Date says, 
You've gotta refuse to limit your perspective of the goodness of God to a current circumstance and learn that life is not about what a person has, but who a person is, who they are in Christ, like a palm tree, like a cedar of Lebanon. But so often the problem is we want spiritual development to happen immediately. Is there a microwave version of righteousness? There is if we wanna be like grass. We can shoot up and sprout up today. We can flourish today, but be gone tomorrow. But if you desire to be like the tree planted by streams of living water where your roots grow deep down into the nutrients of God, then your life in turn will bear much fruit. For it's a focus on long-term gain, not short-term gain. In my study this week of Psalm 92, theologian Howard Thurman says of this particular psalm, when it comes to desiring long-term outcomes, desiring righteousness, Thurman says, we wait, we wait, our Father, until at last something of thy strength becomes our strength. Something of their heart becomes our heart. Something of thy forgiveness becomes our forgiveness. We wait, O oh God, we wait. That God would transfer his nutrients into our lives and we would bear good fruit. See, there's, a, there's an invitation from God that we would enter his orchard, that we would choose to farm in the orchard of fresh, fruit that is ripe and, and, and juicy and good in our lives. Here is often our problem. We wanna go through the drive-through and get some vacuum sealed apple slices. And we wanna bring this to God when God is offering us the apple. Is this better than fries? Maybe, but it's certainly not better than an apple. And our culture wants this immediate righteousness to be deposited into our lives and it doesn't happen in a drive-through. Maybe if the psalmist was alive today, he would illustrate just like this. And the call of the psalmist to our lives is that we would choose to go after the life of the righteous that we would over time allow God to change our lives so our roots would go deep so we would be like the palm tree and like the cedar tree, that we wouldn't sell out for drive-through righteousness that is like the grass that sprouts up one day and withers the next. The psalmist calls us in verse 13, for they are transplanted to the Lord's own house. We choose to come into the Lord's house to be transplanted here for the root system of Jesus is deep in the Godhead itself. The very lifeblood of God, the nature of Christ flows into us and we are uprooted from our sin nature and replanted in him. If you've ever heard the theological term regeneration, that's what it means. To be uprooted from your old life and reestablished in a new life in Christ. Given the opportunity for transformation of your old nature to participate with Christ, his nature to become your nature. 
Now get this, therefore, if there is no evidence of growth, no blossom, no enlargement in your life, there is no lasting fruit. What happens in the courts of God? The psalmist tells us that we flourish in the courts of God. You see, the bent of this psalm is life is not lived by observation, but life is lived by participation. That we participate with the work of Christ in our lives. And our lives are transformed from our sin nature and we are replanted into the nature of Christ. It's interesting what Jesus said about fruit in our lives. In Matthew 7, verse 16, Jesus says, by their fruit, you will recognize them. By their fruit, you'll recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. We are to recognize the fruit in one another's lives. Coming on three years ago, when we moved to North Carolina, we quickly learned that the color blue is important. <laughs> I used to refer to it when I first came, a, a naive, out-of-state person, sky blue, and people said, no, it's Carolina blue, right? <laughs> now, what's interesting is you look around a room like this and without any labels or logos, there's something that you recognize with one another by the color of that Carolina blue. You recognize you're a fan. Now there's another color blue that I had to learn and this color blue has an academic blue as well as an athletic blue and it's, it's like royal and navy and never shall the two get mixed up but it's called Duke royal blue, right? So we know what it is in our fan sports lives to be able to recognize one another by an outward appearance, in this case, by the importance of the color blue. Jesus says that we should also recognize one another by our fruit. Now, here is a really bad doctrine that has been overlapped under this teaching about recognizing each other's fruit. That as brothers and sisters in a faith community, Jesus calls us to recognize good and bad fruit in one another. Now, here's the bad doctrine that's come in. Doesn't it say somewhere in the Bible that you're not supposed to judge? And so now, instead of being available to be recognized by my brothers and sisters, I step back into a really poor belief system and say, well, it feels like you're judging me right now. That's not what Jesus said. And in that scripture, in Luke 6, do not judge, lest you be judged. Do not condemn, lest you be condemned. That is not what is going on when Jesus says, recognize one another's fruit. 
And you see, we know what it is to recognize things in one another's lives in all different kind of categories. I gave an example earlier, but when it comes to the way that we live out our faith, we suddenly want an exception and say, oh yeah, no, you're not supposed to judge. Why are we not prepared to stand and say, recognize my fruit, you will see I'm a follower of Jesus. And the psalmist tells us that in the courts of the Lord, we will flourish. So in God's house, there will be fruit produced in my life so that people outside of this place will recognize that I'm a follower of Jesus. Because the fruit of my life will be evidence of the decisions and the belief of my life. I wanna take a a quick detour. I think you'll enjoy it. I'm gonna take the detour whether you enjoy it or not. Here we go. In 2014, uh, an author by the name of Erin Myers wrote a book called The Culture Map. And she studied 67 countries and their cultures and she plotted them on graphs through all different kind of categories. So to illustrate this, I picked three countries and have a look at this graph. Canada, United States, and Australia, all right? (laughs) Now you'll see in just these areas, communicating, leading, trusting, and scheduling, that these three countries, these three cultures are all very similar. Now when it comes to communicating, uh, we are more low context. Uh, High context refers to reading between the lines, taking in what are you not saying, body language, all this kind of stuff. We tend to be down this end, low context, which simply means I'm just listening to what you're saying and you're saying what you mean and you mean what you say unless you're from the south and someone says, bless your heart. (laughs) That doesn't mean bless your heart, but other than that, we're pretty straight when it comes to communicating. Leading we're less from the hierarchical, we're more egalitarian, which, which means more of an equal platform of leadership style. When it comes to building trust in our lives, it tends to lean towards being task-based, which means we, we enter into relationship with one another by achievements. What have you accomplished? This is the, the, the kind of value system that we operate in less just simply on relationships. And then when it comes to scheduling, we're more down the linear time end, which simply means in our culture here in America, we think systematically, one, two, three, four, five. But there are other cultures in the world that are more flexible when they think of scheduling and are not so systematic. They'll pick from all around the place. So culture mapping is a really interesting way of looking at how someone is approaching different categories. Okay, so just before we moved to North Carolina, and uh, we lived in Chicago land, and we had a international student live with us for two years. Kaylee was doing her junior and senior year of high school, and she lived in our home. There's one particular day, Kaylee and I were talking about her faith journey and particular around this subject of bearing fruit in the area of servanthood in your life. Now, 
the conversation I didn't feel was going particularly well. And I didn't know whether that was because I was talking to you know, a, a 16-year-old teenager about serving or whether there was something else. But what's interesting is when you plot China on the culture map, you'll see a vast difference in how we go about communicating, for example. Let me tell you what Erin Myers says about China's communication. She says, messengers, messages are often conveyed implicitly, requiring the listener to read between the lines. Good communication is subtle, layered, and may depend on copious subtext with the re responsibility for transmission of the message shared between one sending the message and the one receiving the message. So on this day, in this conversation, I am talking from more of an American context, but Kaylee is listening from a Chinese context. And she tells me like, she's from a, a, a town just north of Shanghai. And I said, what's the name of it? And she said, you don't need to know the name. There are no English letters to describe my name. You cannot say the name that I'm from. And so as she's listening to me this day, she's looking and listening in a whole different communication mode. And I realize this is not going well. And then Kaylee hastily declares that China does not have any teaching around servanthood. And now I realize there's a disconnect in the way that we're communicating. But Kaylee lived with our family for two years, so I knew I had relational equity that I could use to lead her in this conversation. And then the other aspect was, I knew that trusting me and what I was saying from her vantage point needed to come with more of a command, authoritative nature than conversational. So I changed my approach and I said to Kaylee, let me tell you that in Philippians 2, it's Jesus who introduces servanthood. Philippians 2.7 says, Jesus made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. And then I encouraged her, you need to be serving in the life of the church that you are producing fruit that others can see and recognize that you're a follower of Jesus. And our conversation turned when I took in the cultural difference. Now, here's what often happens for us in our American culture is we live our lives too often by reaction rather than the choice of action. Now, at this point, you can see that from communication, we're low context. So if I get to now bring a little bit of high challenge to you, I can just say it directly because that is our American culture. So my direct communication to you right now is where are you displaying fruit where others can recognize that you're a follower of Jesus? So you don't need to read between the lines, what am I saying or not saying? I'm simply calling you out right now. I'm calling you to reflect on where it is in your life that people are able to recognize the fruit of your life, the decisions and the behaviors and the actions, and where are you serving? 
in the life of the church, where the psalmist says, in the courts of God, we flourish. Where you are transplanted into God's house. Where the godly flourish like palm trees and stand strong like the cedars of Lebanon. See, every morning when I drive in on a Sunday, I see Dave and Sonny Holdaway serving in the facilities team, preparing this place. And often, Dave's outside on our entrance with a long cobweb pole, getting the cobwebs in our entrance area so that this place is even better presented than it was, and I just find it really easy to recognize Dave and Sonny's fruit. How about Amy Ricks, who serves as one of our head ushers? This week, yeah. This week she was uh, having surgery, and from the hospital bed, she said to Ashley, uh, oh, I, I should be there Sunday. I don't know if I'll be able to serve, but I'll be there. And I just think to myself, what a servant heart. Amy's here every week. It's just easy to recognize her fruit. Or Jody Hunt right now is behind us in a soundproof room, remixing the audio for our online community so it's not distorted in any way. And Jody's here every Thursday night at rehearsal and every Sunday morning serving, and he makes it really easy to recognize his fruit. Or what about Chris Terry, who serves in our student ministry, right? On Tuesday night, we had some glass broken in the parking lot, and uh, me and a couple of staff members were here, and Chris was here until 10.30 at night, sweeping up on Tuesday night. Then the following night, Wednesday night, is when we hold students. He was here at the event, loving and serving teenagers. And then Chris is also here on our ushering team every Sunday morning, serving in that way. And you know what I'm gonna say, it's really easy to recognize Chris's fruit. What about yours? How about this morning, Ricky is on drums and his beautiful wife, Lucy, who sings. And they just bring their gifts and their talents and they allow you and I to recognize their fruit. People serving in the life of the church that they may flourish in the courts of God. Where are you serving in the life of the church? Where Jesus' words can be true in your life that by your fruit you will be recognized. I know I'm really up in your business right now, but I honestly believe that you don't come to church to get your ears tickled by some kind of thing that just makes you feel good, but you wanna receive high challenge to say, hey, how I'm living needs to change that I could represent more of Christ in my life. My hope and my prayer for you I tell you, I'm, I'm here on Saturday nights praying over every one of these sections because I know that at some point 
this morning, you're gonna sit in the chair you're sitting in. And I want you to understand that the invitation from God is all about his orchard, that you would come and you would be different from the person who walks in and takes your seat to the one who walks back out of those doors. Because you say, yeah, I want this kind of fruit in my life. I'm sick of drive-through pre-packaged sliced apples. I want the goodness of God to be recognised in my life. This is what it means for us to sit under the Word of God and ask to be changed. And more and more of you are doing this recently. Since the start of the new year, I don't know whether it's been like New Year's resolutions to come back to church or whether it's further distance from the pandemic, but last weekend we had a high watermark moment. We, we had 600 more people here last weekend than the year before on the same date. So I'm glad you're clapping because with more and more people, there is more and more opportunity for you to flourish in the courts of God. <laughs> so we currently have 126 volunteer openings in the life of our church. And you'll see they're in kids, students, online, production, young adults, life groups, guest experiences, administration, and discipleship. Now, you'll also see on some of these areas, you'll see the initials IF, which simply stands for introvert friendly. <laughs> All right? So there'll be a QR code that'll come up on the screen and that's the same QR code that's in the seat back in front of you. But here's a really straightforward, simple application to my message this morning. The psalmist invites you to flourish in the courts of God and now I've just shown you a way how you can, right? 126 opportunities we have right now. And so I wanna invite you to scan the QR code and then if you click on the serving tile, uh, you'll see a whole lot of the ministries. Now, there's opportunities for you just to learn more about it, to, to kind of sign up to shadow. You're not committing your life to whatever area that you feel prompted to wanna serve in. But we know this, statistically, when you go onto that page, the more boxes that you check that you're interested in, the less likely that you'll actually serve in any of those ministries. So we're asking if you would just check two boxes. Hey, here's two ministries that I'd love to serve in, that I may take a step closer to seeing brothers and sisters around me recognize the fruit in my life as I serve God in that way. Now, for those of you who have walked the wisdom years in your life, I'm about to come after you. Get ready. Here it is, verse 14. Even in old age, they will still produce fruit. They will remain, listen to this word, vital. Those in old age will remain vital and green. Now let me talk to you, those of you who are older, 
who have said this, and I've heard you say it, and it sounds really eloquent, and it's unbiblical, and this is it. It's time that we pass the baton to the next generation for them to take responsibility in the life of the church. Oh, it sounds really good even kind of sounds appropriate, you know? We've served all these years, let's give the young ones an opportunity, it's unbiblical. (laughs) The psalmist says to you this morning, there is still fruit for you to produce. And more so, we need you. It's not time for you to hang up the hat of volunteering around the church because the next generation needs to see your example. The next generation needs to see your faithfulness. The next generation needs to see examples of palm trees that have grown strong, whose roots have gone deep into what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. The next generation around the life of the church and the hallways of New Hope need to see you as the cedar trees that when the winds and the storms have blown in your life, you've stood faithful. Faithful. Don't say it's time for us to give someone else an opportunity. The psalmist says, in old age, you will produce fruit. See, it's, it's the elders of the church that de- get to declare the beginning of the psalm that we've looked at today. In Psalm 92 verse one, it says, it is good to give thanks to the Lord, to sing praises to the Most High. It is good to proclaim your unfailing love in the morning, your faithfulness in the evening. Listen to what theologian Charles Spurgeon says. He said, I once heard a good Christian man say that he was confessing a fault. He said, I am afraid that the fruit of my old age is I am too easily irritated. (laughs) Spurgeon said, that is not fruit of old age. It is a fruit of your old nature. But the fruit of old age where this is grace in old age should be patience. One more thing and then I'll get off this soapbox. Older people, It is the credibility that you carry when you get to cry out to the church that in the morning I was met with the unfailing love of the Lord God Almighty and in the evening His faithfulness was present to me as I put my head on the pillow at night. Old people, we need you. You are vital and there is still fruit to be produced in your life. If nothing else, we have 126 positions. We need you. (laughs) We need everyone. Let us learn by those that have gone before us and demonstrate what faithfulness looks like, that we, as the next generation, can recognise fruit in them and say, I want that same fruit produced in my life. Amen? Amen. 
Would you go ahead and take out your communion elements that you received on your way in? If you didn't get them, slip up your hand and the ushers will get those to you. And then would you please stand to your feet? When we approach the Psalms, we ask three questions. We ask, what is the context? What is the original audience listening to? What makes this Psalm unique? What is its meaning? What does it tell us about God, about His people, and what is God saying to us? And lastly, we ask, where is this Psalm pointing to Jesus? And in Psalm 92, we are called to flourish in the courts of God and the imagery of faithfulness that we grow strong as we follow after God faithfully. And it is Jesus' example that He is the great palm tree and the cedar that stood strong when it came to following the will of His Father and allowing His hands and feet to be nailed to a cross at the place that He would die. He would then be buried and He would rise again. The declaration for you and I that we could be made right with God, that our sins have been paid for and that we are called to be, to bear and to produce much fruit for the kingdom of God. So if you'd peel off the bottom and reveal the bread, the night Jesus was betrayed, he took bread, he broke it, said, this is my body, broken for you. Let us eat and remember. Go ahead and peel back the juice. The same time he said this, the blood of the new covenant, when you drink this, remember me. Let's drink and remember. So now, God in heaven, we're grateful that you made a way where our confusion could be understood, where our brokenness could be received and forgiven in you. And we're thankful that Jesus was the sacrificial perfect lamb of God that took away our sins. Now, God, we wanna heed the instructions from the psalmist today, that we would be people who would bear much fruit. And to take Jesus' words that we would recognize the fruit in one another, that we are followers of the Most High. God, thanks for your activity in the life of New Hope these days. We love you and we love what you're doing around here. We pray that you would continue it. And then Lord, we pray in these moments that you would speak to individuals' hearts about ways and areas that they could get involved and they could experience the economy of heaven that ends up filling us up when we give out. And God, we pray that many, many people would experience the joy of serving you and being filled up. God, thanks for your blessings and for your grace mercy and your loving kindness. It's in your gracious name that we pray. And everyone said? Amen. Amen.